Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, the year 6260 according to the Kemet calendar. Most of us recognize the date as being January 12th, 2020. I have brothers Makero and brothers Amos with me. This is the African Liberation Media, BB48. To be honest, I will start with a rant. I am sick of Facebook. I'm sick of big banks. I'm sick of pharmaceuticals. I'm sick of the cost of war. Sick of the cost of prescription drugs sick of the cost of hospital care. What do we have in terms of our agency to address many of these critical issues in the wake of a lack of institutionalization on the part of African people, the African masses? You know, another thought too, I've been studying this brother, Henry McNeil Turner, and my question is what would prompt a brother who died around 1912 to make a bold proclamation that God was a black man. I cannot come to any conclusions other than the fact that Brother Amos Wilson told us years ago before his premature transition that invariably from a genetic physiological standpoint there will always be a group of Africans who are constructed differently to ensure the survival of the race. Now he was speaking from a genealogical standpoint. Perhaps we can say the same thing and make the same assertions from an ideological standpoint. Thus we need the synthesis, the creative tension between those who are in a society intent on obeying its rules by adhering to the dominant ideology and those people like Henry McNeil Turner, Martin Delaney who are considered to be a little bit off. Douglas made the statement, I'm just glad God made me a man. Delaney took it a step further. He said, I'm glad God made me a black man. Mm. I agree with Delaney. You know, thus we have the antecedents of nationalism, but the antecedents of nationalism actually occurred during the transatlantic passage when Africans, rather than uh, submit themselves to subjugation during this horrendous trek decided to jump over the ocean rather than submit themselves to degradation dehumanization despiritualization you fill in the blank enslavement I cannot describe it a carnage that altered the migratory pattern of the shark who through their feeding practices, followed the trek of slave ships. This comes directly from Brother Baruti down in Atlanta, Georgia, who has established an independent institution. But Brother Macaroo, we were talking earlier, has uh, cited that between 1492 and 1600, 56 million, not 56,000, 56 million of the darker people, Taino and Arawak people, Indigenous people lost their lives as a result of disease and 
barbarism, murder, killing, mayhem, the whole kith and caboodle, so much so that in some way the ecological balance or the climatic conditions have been altered or were altered during this time period. Perhaps we have not recovered um, in terms of the climate change that was wrought as a result of this barbarism, murder. I don't have an apt description. But anyway, this is African Liberation Media. Have Brother Amos, have Brother Macaroo here. Brothers, take it wherever you want to take it. Obibi Fahodier, Bado Mampampano, the struggle continues, African family. Another opportunity to discuss issues that are not being discussed anywhere else with the level of depth and consciousness, if I can boast about us <laughs> for just a second. Uh, very good point uh, being made there in light of the uh, continuing war crimes committed you know, by the uh, current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, one man known as Donald Trump, heard her drumpf. His father was kicked out of Germany. <laughs> the Germans didn't want his his grand his his uh, father kicked out, and um, and uh, his father or grandfather, one of the two, was kicked out of Germany and came to the United States and. You know, this is this is a a, a pattern <laughs> that Fanon talked about how how Europe, how the United States, uh, a former colony, emulated Europe and then just escalated its barbarism to the highest levels we have seen. But as regarding uh, you know the the the, the recent uh, killing or the assassination murder of an Iranian general in Iraq. Um, the Europeans, European Americans, white people—they never—they never really, never really admit to the enormous amount of crimes they've committed in the world. They—they they create this propaganda narrative, which the gullible American uh, body politic, largely white supremacists, uh, simply uh, you know swallows, you know, like a pig swallowing slop. When, uh, when they say that a certain person was a terrorist, uh, the response you get, you know, from the American peanut gallery or Neanderthal gallery, probably more, more appropriate, is that this person deserved to die. Saddam Hussein deserved to die. Muammar Gaddafi deserved to die. And, of course, the same narrative is playing out with um, General Soleimani, but when we look at the context of crimes that have been committed, uh, there was a study that was produced in, in, in January that, uh, that, that talked about the, the decimation of the indigenous population of what's now known as North America, South America, and the Caribbean. So I'm, I'm just going to read one one, one uh, news uh, outlet that reported on this. While Europe was in the early days of the Renaissance, uh, thanks, unfortunately, to the Moors going in the, into the Iberian Peninsula, they should have stayed in Africa. That's my commentary on that. There were empires in the Americas sustaining more than 60 million people. But the first European contact 
1492 brought diseases to the Americas which devastated the native population and the resultant collapse of farming in the Americas so significantly uh, was so significant that it may have even cooled the planet. The, 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 the temperature is, is estimated to have dropped as a, as a result of this. Now, you know, they, they have never totally agreed as to how many, many people, you know, perished. But, but according to this study, based on, based on the estimates that, it, that they did, 56 million people died as a result of the European invasion beginning on the island of Haiti in 1492 by the genocide there Cristobal Colon, also known as Cristobal, Christopher Columbus. He said that uh, that in the in the decades after Europeans set foot on Haiti, now that Haiti and the Dominican Republic and the mainland of the continents in 1517, Europeans brought measles, smallpox, influenza, and bubonic plague from across the Atlantic, with devastating consequences for the indigenous population. Our new data, uh, driven uh, by the best estimates, is that the death toll was 56 million by 1600. 90% of the pre-Columbian indigenous population and around 10% of the total global population at the time was destroyed. Mm. The indigenous people, uh, they, they call this the great dying, the largest human mortality event in proportion to the global population, put in its second in absolute terms only to World War II, in which 80 million people died, 3% of the world's population at the time. So a larger percentage of, pop, of the global population died as a result of this Holocaust. Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, ever since the rise of the Third Reich and the devastation that, uh, that it brought uh, to Europe and other parts of the world, we have been bombarded with stories about the what Jewish people call the Shoah, but it has become known as the Holocaust, as if there was only one that took place in the world. So we've been bombarded with these stories about what happened to six million Jews. The five million other people who were also thrown into concentration camps and killed never get discussed as a, as a part of this because... Uh, you know, Jewish people largely could control a lot of the media so they can they can uh, produce their narrative. All loss of life is significant, but 56 million people. And this was something that was never discussed. Now, we, we knew that there was massive, massive genocide. Of course, now, you know, this this story is more focused on population and they're blaming diseases. Of course, we know that Europeans killed people also with their weapons obviously their bodies their disease laden bodies were the primary uh, weapons of mass destruction but this is i mean it's it's unimaginable i mean when you think about it i mean we can go back and look at for example new documentaries now such as the world war ii in color you know and we can see uh, the devastating, you know, loss of life in, in places like Stalingrad, what was then known as Stalingrad, you know, in uh, in, in, in modern day Russia. Uh, you know, we, we, we can see we can see, uh, you know, um, 
uh, millions of Chinese people being killed by the Japanese and all. We can see these kinds of things, but you know, we don't have anything that gives us a visual idea of how 56 million people died as a result, just because Europeans sailed were sailed across the sailed across the Atlantic and decided that they wanted to conquer the pe the, the people who lived there and take their land because they thought that it was uh, rich with gold and silver and other minerals and things that they had and uh, actually the most valuable <laughs> product that was produced as a result of this was uh, Columbus imported uh, sugarcane from the Canary Islands and then of course that led to the transatlantic uh, enslavement of African people. So you have to, if you include the numbers of Africans who, who died uh, as, as a result of this, uh, beginning with the forced marches in coffles from the interior of Africa to uh, long periods in these dungeons uh, at El Mina, Cape Coast, Gory Island, and other places, and then the, the massive loss of life during the uh, horrific Middle Passage, and then all of the Africans who died resisting, uh, fighting, and this died as a result of being worked to death on sugar plantations, the number could easily be 75 million people. It could easily be 80 million people. I mean, this number doesn't even, doesn't include the genocide against the indigenous people uh, in on, in uh, what is now the continental United States, an estimated 15 million people, maybe 100 million people. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. But everybody else in the world is a terrorist, is a criminal, deserves to die. And, you know, who... Who deserves more to die if, 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 if there was justice in the world than the people who are causing all, all of this death uh, and destruction? Um, I read one story where um, um, this, uh, they were talking about, um, you know, America's guilty of everything we accuse Iran of doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my first response to it was that the number one country in the world with no moral authority to accuse anyone of violence is the United States. Still the greatest purveyor of violence in the world as Dr. King said. <laughs> but this, this writer said, talking about the death of Suleimani, and we also know now that Donald Trump also tried to kill another um, Iranian in Yemen at the, on, on the, at the same time he was killing Soleimani. So they said that, you know, he only took 15 minutes to make this decision. But now it seems like it was a planned attack. Uh, for example, uh, let's just go back to 2011. On the same weekend that uh, that the United States SEALs operating under the orders of Barack Obama killed Osama bin Laden, that very same weekend they attacked a cookout that was being held at the home of one of Muammar Gaddafi's sons. Muammar Gaddafi's entire family was gathered for this cookout. So Obama sent drones to attack the, the, the uh, a Gaddafi family cookout, and they wound up killing one of his sons and, 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 and two of Gaddafi's grandchildren. So Gaddafi, so Obama was trying to kill Gaddafi and bin Laden on the same weekend in 2011. Trump was trying to kill Suleimani and his other guy on the same weekend. Uh, 
the bombing of the Gaddafi family cookout, uh, like I said, it didn't kill Gaddafi at that time. Eventually, Obama was successful in killing him. But Trump tried to do the same thing. They tried to get a double hit. So it's like to me, these guys are sitting back playing games with people's lives, and then they concoct these stories, and the gullible American politic, uh, American body politics sucks it up like a pig sucking up slop. Yeah, and to your point, because uh, you, you, you touched on a lot of different points mm-hmm. in your statements. And uh, going back to the statement about Christopher Columbus and the damage that he did, and also in how the U.S. tries to vilify these nations or these other people around the world in the eyes of the American people and the people who also live in Europe, of course, are the NATO allies. Christopher Columbus got permission to go on this voyage. Prior to this, King Alfonso V did the same thing. And before he went out on his voyage, he had to get the blessing from the Catholic Church. And this is where you get in history uh, the papal bulls, uh, starting with the uh, dumbdiverous papal bull written by Pope I believe it was... Uh, I think it was Nicholas V. Nicholas V. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. And in this papal bull, he states that Alfonso has permission to go around the world and find anybody who is considered to be a pagan or a Saracen and submit them to perpetual servitude. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of vilifying people that are different. The same way that they created the terrorism... Um, identity on anybody who believes in or what they consider to be the Islamic State all throughout the Middle East. So they're using a really a four to five hundred year, six hundred year playbook, and they're re-implementing that same playbook today. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of using religion, they do it in what they call politics. <laughs> so. Back in those days, they said if you weren't if you were not a Christian, you were considered to be a pagan. Now Europe at this time had numerous amounts of people who they considered to be pagans or what they would call heath dwellers, people who dwelled out in the woods. Mm-hmm. But they did not go through savagely trying to convert these people because it, it was never about that. It was about getting access to other countries' resources, and this was used as an excuse to do this. It's the same way today they use politics and instead of it being Christianity now it's democracy. (laughs) We're going to spread democracy and fight against terrorism all throughout the world. So when Christopher Columbus came back from his voyage they they initiated another papal bull which was called the Intercetera which led to the, the Treaty of Tordesillas which pretty much divided up the East and the West, where Christopher Columbus in Spain would have access to the lands that he discovered in Portugal would keep what Pope Nicholas V originally gave to, or gave the permission for Alfonso to take. Mm -hmm. So this is nothing more than Europeans dividing up the world, and this continues on. They continue to replay these same historical strategies. We see the same thing when we get to the Berlin Conference, then we see the same thing with now today, the war on terror. And this is a war that's extending into 
uh, well, has extended into West Africa, which we're going to talk about. But also the hypocrisy that takes place in doing this, you have to create a propaganda with the people that you're trying to fool or convince, <laughs> which is the, the majority of the American uh, citizens. And you create this demon in the eyes of the people and then you legitimize your crimes, which is, I would say, Europeans' biggest strength is being able to legitimize their crimes. Mm-hmm. Nobody does it better. The, the language that they use, the way that they write history or rewrite history, revisionist history is used, and then they create this narrative that they're doing the right thing when they're not only doing worse, but in many cases the same things that other people who they're calling terrorists are doing. Exactly. You know, and the thing and the thing of it is, is that, you know, as Jack and I were, were discussing uh last night, we uh they they know that that because you know white supremacy is the most effective mass based philosophy in this country, it's easy to demonize people. It's very easy to demonize people who are not white or who may have different religious beliefs. And the example I always use is Saddam Hussein. You see, once 19 Muslims were accused of the atrocities that took place on September 1st, uh, 2001, once 19 Muslims were accused, every Muslim on the planet with the exception of the Saudis, were guilty. So when Bush came two years later and tried to say that that Saddam Hussein was involved in the uh, the attacks on 9-11, then, uh, then we said, I said September 1st, I meant not September 11th. Mm-hmm. September uh, that took place on 9-11, then just like every other Muslim in the world that they disagreed with, he was guilty. It was just like a white woman crying rape in Money, Mississippi in 1955. Any black man that they picked up was guilty. It didn't matter whether he was the one who perpetrated it. And largely, uh, like in Rosewood, it was it was a white husband or a white boyfriend that did it. But any black man was guilty. So Saddam Hussein, by merely, by merely being uh, a Muslim or being an Arab, was guilty. And so, you know, these guys, you know, as as unintelligent as they appear, you know, the Bushes and the Trumps of the world, they are smart enough to know that that all they have to do is say this person was was a terrorist. He was a Muslim and the American body politic just sucks it right up because it it plays into what they already believe about other people. It's the same narrative that, that that they created about the African that they decided to kidnap and enslave from the from the continent. They did the same thing with us. They they convinced the body of people that these people were savages that needed to be saved, and that that we were doing them a favor. They were legitimizing these crimes by convincing the people that we were doing them a favor because we we're putting them in better conditions than they'll ever be in in Africa and bringing them closer to Christ. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting, brothers, um, and I'm feeding off your comments, uh, the 
concept once again propaganda that Africans are lazy childlike uh, better off in a fraternalistic atmosphere guilty you just had been caught apprehended unintelligent a greater propensity toward violence what's my crime being alive the connection that they make uh, with the Africans and primates even Meghan Markle you know, the British press referred to her son as a chimpanzee, said that she was aiding terrorists uh, through the support of her charity organizations. You know, even though she's light, bright, damn near white, her mother's African-American, she got a welcome to the white world experience. So my point is you cannot really graduate beyond this you know, she should have known it from the beginning. You mentioned the Berlin Conference, the royal family, you know, significant part in the carving up, the balkanization of Africans, the murder of Africans. Should have known this from the beginning, you know. But, you know, here again, more evidence of uh, white supremacy being made manifest and some of the perceptions that they have about us. This um, encompasses what we might Describe as part of the European constant. Where's well, what uh, Baba Makaru says all the time that lying speech is their native tongue. Yeah. And when we look at even right now, you have the U.S. government where you have these protests that are happening in Iran that are more than likely sponsored by the U.S. government. No doubt. And Trump is coming out saying that you cannot silence or you cannot censor these protesters to the Iranian government. And here you have on the same, uh, at the same time, Facebook has admitted <laughs> that Facebook and Instagram are selectively censoring pro-Iranian government Instagram posts about the murder general Soleimani. Mm. So you talk about being hypocritical where on one end, the citizens who live in Iran who use Instagram a lot it's one of the social media sites that's not blocked in their country. And they're trying to voice their opinions about how they feel about what's going on. And you have this social media platform, which is, for the most part, controlled, not owned and operated, but controlled by the U.S. government that is blocking the Iranians from being able to speak the truth. And they know that by doing this, they're they're controlling the mind. They're 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 owning or researching and being able to control your social thoughts, which helps them to create a social paradigm that they want in that country. So by prohibiting these people from being able to speak the truth about what's going on in their country, they're creating social reform just off of your thought process. Mm -hmm. And this is this is what we mean when we talk about hypocrisy. On the other hand, after Soleimani was killed, who praises the act? ISIS. Absolutely. So ISIS is now celebrating that Soleimani was killed. So you have to ask the question, who is ISIS really with? Hmm. <laughs> Rhetorically. <laughs> if, they, if they praise the fact that the U.S. killed one of their Muslim brothers, you have to ask the question, is ISIS really a terrorist group 
or is ISIS really a group that the U.S. and other countries are using to carry out their missions in destabilizing these different countries? Exactly. You know, and he, you know, I think, see, one of the things that, you know, this country has a, uh, th- there's a deficit of critical thinking, mm. you know, in this, in this country. Uh, you know, critical thinking skills are not, are not taught, you know, in, in the school system. They don't want people to be critical thinkers. They don't want people to be critical thinkers because, you know, critical thinking requires that you have, have balance between your emotions and rational thought, okay? And so, you know, when they run this propaganda, they just want people, you know, operating, you know, out of just one of their cortical hemispheres. But here's, here's what's really interesting. Um... All of this started with an attack on December uh, 27th, 2019, uh, on a base in Iraq that was occupied by Americans and Iraqis. Uh, The attack killed an Iraqi American by the name of Nares Walid Hamid. Now, it's absolutely guaranteed that Donald Trump doesn't give a rat's rear about an Iraqi American being killed. But they used this attack as an excuse. They said the attack was carried out by uh, some, uh, they have in Iraq, they have what's called these uh, popular militarization units. And they, they work hand in hand with uh, these are largely uh, Shiite, uh, Shia uh, military units, and they work closely with uh, the Iraqi regular military, and they are uh, financed and supported by uh, Iran. And these people were critical in the in the war against the Islamic State. They they, they were a critical factor. In, 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 the, in driving the Islamic State out of Iraq. Now, the Islamic State is now rearing its head again, you know, in Syria, and that's where uh, Soleimani was most effective, uh, you know, in, in, in fighting off the, the assault on the, um, on the, on the uh, government of, of Assad. But the, the, the question was raised, the question was raised, as to who actually launched the attack. Now, when I first heard about the attack, I said, you know, this comes right out of the playbook of the Zionist state. It comes right out. Because, first of all, what would these, the the, the PMUs, the the, uh, the, uh, popular militarization units in Iraq, what would they have to gain by attacking uh, a base where they're American and Iraqi soldiers, and they work side by side with Iraqi soldiers. So, obviously, if uh, if the Zionist state did it, they have they are experts at, at covering their hands. So they they blame the Islamic State. They blame the Islamic State for 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 this missile attack that killed this this one American contractor who just happens to be a Muslim himself, an Iraqi American. The United States responded by attacking a PMU base that was 500 miles away from the attack on the American base. And they have said that 
these units don't have any kind of rockets or missiles that can fly that far. So the thought process of some people is that it, who, who had the most to gain from this attack? There are only two people, that, there are only two groups or two uh, entities that had something to gain, the Zionist state and the Islamic state. And actually they work hand in hand on a lot of things. The Zionist state and the Islamic state were the only two people that had anything to gain because they knew that once uh, these uh, Iraqi, uh, Iranian-supported PMUs were blamed for the attack, that the United States would respond. The United States responded by attacking the uh, Iraqi PMU base 500 miles away, killing 23 or 24 people. And then suddenly there was a protest on the U.S. Embassy. Now, we don't know if the protesters were legitimate protesters or if they were paid protesters. So this protest that really these people were armed, they were only armed with bricks and bottles, okay? Then that became, you see, that's why critical thinking allows you to connect the dots. You start with the, with the killing of the American. The U.S. response was killing 23, 20, 24 members of uh, an Iraqi PMU. You got the protest at the uh, uh, U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, and then you have the murder of Soleimani. So from the Islamic State's point of view, the United States did exactly what the Islamic State wanted. The United States did exactly what the Islamic State wanted. The United States took out their most feared enemy, General Soleimani. The United States acted in the interest of the Islamic State and the Zionist State by engaging in this activity. But because there's a there's a deficit of critical thinking in this country, nobody connects all of the dots. See, see, as a matter of fact, let me just say this, Jack, before you say oh, okay, something. Go ahead, let me go let ahead, me let me say this. Trump has never called the name of the Iraqi American contractor that was killed. He's always said American contractor. He sent out tweets saying American contractor. Why wouldn't he call the name? Because he knows his base wouldn't give a flying flip about Nares uh, Hamid being killed. So what? They would say, okay, a Muslim got killed by some other Muslims. That's none, that is none of our business. But by saying an, an, an American contractor, now, once again, it goes back to we got a rationale. Mm -hmm. We have a rationale for, for launching this attack. And, 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 and you see, you know, the, 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 the cascade of events. And, and there were many of us in the world who study history who really thought this was a Sarajevo moment. We thought this was a Sarajevo 1914 moment, you know, where the Archduke uh, Ferdinand w was killed and that, you know, set in motion uh, World War One, but I mean these people are playing dangerous games with lives. Look, check this. Two days ago, two days ago, the United States attempting to kill supposedly some Taliban people in uh, Afghanistan launched an attack on a village. They killed some members of the Taliban. They killed sixty women, children, 
and innocent men that had nothing to do with the attack. Two days after, after uh, uh, two or three days after they killed Suleimani, they killed 60 innocent people in Afghanistan, and nobody's saying anything about that. Go ahead, brother. Hey, brother, I'm just sitting enthralled by what your brothers are espousing here. But, uh, you know, just a quick statement. You know, we want to get back to your brothers, man. I don't take up a whole lot of time. But it goes back to uh, the Trilateral Commission put together by John David Rockefeller when he made a deliberate attempt to dumb down the American mind. You know, and my other point before I turn it back to you is, you know, something that Malcolm said years ago during the U.S. conflicts in the Congo he said they always use propaganda information such as white nuns were being attacked. That way they can manipulate the consciousness. But go ahead, brother. Well, I want to take attention to, and this is followed within the same topic of how they're using terrorism to invade countries and try to steal people's resources and exploit them. Uh, yesterday, well, actually on January 10th, there were protests that took place in Mali, in uh, the capital of Mali, there were hundreds of people who came out to protest against the French military presence in uh, the country. So they gathered uh, at the capital, Bamako, and this protest is coming right ahead of the summit that's going to take place on Monday, uh, which will be the date of this podcast is released, known as the Sahel G5. Uh, the Sahel region uh, is a region that consists of uh, Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, Mauritania, and Chad. This is the region uh, that the French military has been in, stating that they're fighting against terrorism. Uh, but the Africans in the country want the French military presence out of the country. This is, this is a region that was controlled by the French during colonial times. And, of course, now we have neocolonialism where the French are still trying to impose their will and make sure that they contain or keep dominance over that country. Uh, but as Brother Makaru talked about connecting the dots, if we go back to uh, when Muammar Gaddafi was killed, uh, the United States collaborated with the French military in uh, the airstrikes that took place. I believe there was a U.S. drone that uh, conducted the initial strike, and then the French followed up with uh, with airstrikes uh, um, as well. Out of that, a year later, uh, the French created a operation in alliance with the Mali government called Operation Saval. And this is an operation that stated that the French would come in and bring in military troops and fight against uh, the Islamic State presence that, that was starting to grow in West Africa. Now, everybody that knows what happened in Libya knows that the U.S. sponsored different rebel groups, and after Muammar Gaddafi was killed, a lot of the weapons that were in Libya mm. were taken control of by many of these rebel groups, which created a lot of these, quote-unquote, terrorists that, 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 that they would like to call them in these different regions. So the French um, came in in 2012 and started this operation, which extended into 2014, 
and converted over to an operation called Operation Barkani. And this is the operation that's still going on today where you have the French fighting against so-called terrorists that they assisted in creating along with the United States government. Mm -hmm. So on one end, they killed Gaddafi to stop him from his ambitions of creating currency and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And then they used the killing of Gaddafi to further implant themselves into West Africa to be able to, to control that region under the guise of fighting terrorism. Last year, Lindsey Graham made a statement. He said, the war on terror is moving to Africa. Mm -hmm. And if we sit back and don't take action by alerting the people so that they can fight against this, this will be nothing more than a new Berlin conference that we'll be discussing 100 years from now <laughs> and saying, what should we have done back in 1884-85 when this started to take place? Exactly. And and right now you have people on the continent who are conscious of this fact. You have people in Nigeria who are speaking out against the French. You have people in Mali who are speaking out against the French. Of course, you already have Kimi Sabre, who is an activist who is speaking out against the CFA, Frank. Uh, but, but specifically, uh, the military in Macron is trying to change the narrative, just like Donald Trump, Macron being the president of France, trying to change the narrative to say that his military is only there to help, and he's not going to allow false narratives and untruths be told about why they're in the country. When we know, historically, Europeans care nothing about terrorism, specifically terrorism in nations where their people are not there. Exactly, exactly. So if their people are not there, like right right now in West Pawpaw, you see the genocide that's taking place, are there any United States or NATO forces there trying to stop that from happening? No. Mm -mm. They don't care about that region because they don't have specific interests in that region. Like we said before, their goal is to protect their interests. And their interest is exploitation. It always has been the same thing. When they, when they started to go around the world and conquer different nations, the British, the French, the Spanish, the Portuguese, it was always about the interest of bringing those resources back to Europe and controlling the land that they took over and invaded. Mm -hmm. You better believe it. And, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and to, your, to your point, to your point, once again, you know, this, this goes back to, to being critical thinkers, to connecting dots. Uh, the the terrorism that we see affecting uh, innocent African people in the Sahel right now is directly related to the destabilization of Libya. But that connection is never made. The, co the connection is never made because, as Brother almost said, uh, there there was there was there was no one in Libya capable of fighting against the uh, Libyan army. So they had to bring in these seasoned jihadist warriors from Afghanistan and, and Iraq into Libya to, to be the, be the uh, foot soldiers while NATO provided the Air Force and the United States under Barack Obama was the big dog. But, but let's just look at, look, at, look at how, okay, so now that war was in 2011. 
Uh, this is a report that just came out this week from the UN. Uh, we posted this. Terrorists are wrecking havoc in the Sahel and almost identified the countries that are part of the Sahel. And we ask, have to ask the question, particularly with so many of our, you know, a lot of our people now migrating, you know, back to West Africa, particularly Ghana, how long before it hits the rest of West Africa? The report said an attacks increased fivefold in Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger since 2016 with more than 4,000 deaths reported in 2019. Most significantly, the geographic focus of terrorist attacks has shifted from Mali to Burkina Faso and is increasingly threatening the West African coastal states. Increasingly threatening. Now, th th these people are projecting this, or the, per the person is writing this report are projecting this because so far, I don't know of any reports, but the West African, you know, the coastal states would be uh, uh, Senegal, Gambia, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, uh, Ghana, Togo, Benin. Those would be the coastal states. We already know what uh, Boko Haram is doing in uh, in Nigeria. So, so if if the African Union cannot see, if these African states cannot see that they, as isolated entities, are not capable. Of, 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 of massing a defense as an individual country. This is all the more reason. This is all the more reason to do what, you know, our great people like, you know, Kwame Nkrumah and Seiko Touré and Patrice Lumumba and most recently, you know, the, the great, you know, Dr. Quo, who was removed from the uh, being the ambassador of the, uh, the, the African Union to the United States. These countries need to unify and, and form a West African army because this is just, this is going to continue. Um, suspected Islamist, Islamist militants killed 25 soldiers and wounded six others in attack on an army post in West Niger near the border with Mali on Thursday. This was Thursday, a couple, a couple, a couple of days ago. It's not immediately clear who carried out the attacks. We know who carried out the attacks. Okay. Um, 18 United Nations peacekeepers and two civilians were wounded in a mortar attack on a military base in northern Mali on Thursday. So here, here you have an attack, an, an attack in, uh, in uh, Niger on Thursday, and here uh, another one here in, in, in Mali. Check this. Same week. Terrorist bombing kills 30 in Nigeria. At least 30 people were killed in northeastern, the northeastern Nigerian state of Borno after an improvised explosive device detonated on a bridge, sources told Reuters on Monday. Witnesses in the market town said more than 35, more than 35 were injured. In addition to the 30 that were killed, they were taken to local hospitals. No group immediately took responsibility, but we know that both Boko Haram and, you know, Boko Haram now is divided into uh, two groups, both of which have declared their allegiance to the Islamic State. Now, Nigeria has one of the largest militaries in West Africa. They have been fighting Boko Haram since 2009. They have made a lot of mistakes in that because initially it didn't appear that Boko Haram was going to be this type of terrorist organization that it, that it has become. But the Nigerian military killed the leader who some people might consider to be more moderate than the leaders they have today. 
And but Boko Haram was stumbling along until, as Brother Amos just pointed out, these jihadists got access to uh, thousands of weapons, rocket propelled grenades, all kinds of bombs, C4, all kinds of stuff. Because Libya became an open-air marketplace for weapons, AK-47s and everything else. And if you will look at the Boko Haram insurgency in Nigeria, you will see that it escalated after the events in Libya. So here we have our innocent brothers and sisters being killed. And these African governments are sitting around like, you know, like knots on a friggin' log. Well, it's, 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 it's uh, pathetic that you would have to go to your colonial master and ask them to come in and defend you. You don't have any relationships with any other countries that you don't have any bad history with. You have to go back to France and not ask them for weapons, but ask them to send in their military mm. to fight for you. That's like if, I, if I'm in my house and somebody breaks into my house and beats me and my family up, I'm not, I'm not man enough to be able to defend myself. I have to go and ask another man to come into my house and protect my family. That's pathetic. That, that, that is two indicators. One, that you are mentally weak. Two, that you are compromised economically because you're willing to bend over and allow these countries to come in for your own economic gain, economic benefit. Why France? Why not go to Russia or China and ask them to send their military exactly. to fight against the terrorists? Exactly. Somebody. They're going back to France because France still has ownership over that country. They have ownership over that leader. And this is why the Africans who are protesting in Mali have to take it a step further. They have to go and protest against the people who are allowing this to happen. The neo-colonial leaders. Mm -hmm. Right, who are allowing this to happen. Need to be overthrown. They need to be overthrown. Same way Kwame Nkrumah was overthrown. Same way Patrice Lumumba was assassinated. Same thing needs to happen to these running dog lackeys, uh, uh, leaders of West Africa, who are feeding from the trough of uh, French, British, and American white supremacy. Right, there should be no reason after everything that happened between African people and white people, why you should associate yourselves with another government and allow them to to welcome them into your country and allow them to bring in their military. After all of the uh, mischievous and uh, illegal acts and crimes that these Europeans have committed, you're willing to trust them by bringing in their military. What sense does that make for somebody who was a thinking person? <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, 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 pure, it's pure insanity. And, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we just saw it with, uh, you know, Ghana, you know, open up, opening up its country to allow AFRICOM uh, to operate. I mean. You got the president of the Congo calling on France to come in. All of these former French colonies. It's not a coincidence, people, why this is happening. They're not just doing this because they think France ha France has this powerful military. It's many countries in the world have a, pow a more powerful military than France. Yeah, France proved how powerful they was when they <laughs> when they had to face the Wehrmacht six weeks. Right? <laughs> Go ahead, man. I don't mean to laugh at that, but it's ridiculous, brother. It's also insane. Um, there's a deeper explanation 
You know, I have to refer back to Brother Bobby Wright when he said genuine insight into European behavior does not result in any correlating change on the part of the African response to the behavior. You know, Brother Wilson told us, he said that, you know, and I'm quoting Brother Wilson again, is that for us to be in the situation that we're in our consciousness, it was necessary for our consciousness to be turned upside down and inside out. It defies logic, you know, it defies every known statistical law of probability, the proximity of whites to blacks, invariably whites will be in control. Malcolm raised the question, how can so many, few white folk be in control of so many black folk? And Jack, Th you would think that it would be some sense of just manhood and pride for an African leader to say, as soon as we come out of colonialism, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna strengthen my country's military to make sure that we never get taken advantage of again. Yeah, we know we got a lot of other issues that we have to deal with, the economy, everything, the, the feeding the people, all of that. But it should be an allocated budget every year. It should be a draft every year to train, strengthen the military, the weapons that the country has access to so that they can start to at least be able to say, we're not going to go to war with you, but you're not going to invade our country because we have we have the strength and the power to at least make you think twice about invading the country. Or or if you don't have it by yourself, what about all the surrounding African countries, as Makaru stated, a West African military? This has to be the first topic of discussion for all leaders. You know, brother, when I hear you talk, uh, <laughs> You know, it ushers in thought of uh, you and your comrade, the irritated genie. This reflects the traditional role of what can be described as feminization. <laughs> feminization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, to me, it's just to me. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't know what the leaders of the countries that are not being affected right now. You know, the leaders of, you know, of Ghana, of Cote d'Ivoire, you know, Liberia, Senegal, Benin. I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, I really, if, 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 look, it would be, it would be like this. It would be like this. It would be like, I see a wildfire in my backyard. And I'm standing there saying, well, it, it, it's, it's, it's just going to stop. It's not going to get to my house. It ain't. It's not gonna reach my house. I mean, it's it by magic, you know. Maybe it'll rain or something. It's just gonna stop. I don't know what they are thinking, having seen how since 2011, as brother almost pointed out, uh, jihadists. Uh, Mali was the the first country they attacked. Now uh, there there were uh, there were Torags who had fought in Libya trying to help Gaddafi. They they returned they returned to Mali and 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 so you know there 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 was there there was an outbreak of violence between them and the government of Mali. Then the Islamic State moved in. Okay. And so so first it was it was just Mali. It was just Mali. Right? Because Boko Haram hadn't totally exploded in Nigeria at this time. Then it spread to Burkina Faso. 
Niger, Chad. Do you think that it's just going to stop? Do you think it's just going to stop at Burkina Faso borders, uh, Togo, and Ghana? Do you think it's going to stop at the border? No, sir. It's a contagion was the word that was used during the Vietnam era. You got to stop the contagion. But suffice it to say, ladies and gentlemen, here with Brother Macaroo and Brother Amos Mott has left the council chamber and his fet is in the house. That comes to us also from Brother Maruti. This is the African Liberation Media, BB48. 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 Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately, those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. 